You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. So much. Thank you, teenagers, for participating. Let's give them a hand. Would you do that with me? Would you give them a hand? Great job, teenagers. Boy, that was wonderful. I have loved it. Um, I love seeing teens serve God. That's just such a wonderful thing to see. And uh, so we have, been, we have been blessed tonight just by that. And I want to thank our chaperones, too, for going to teen conference, or teen, yes, youth conference. Uh, Brother Josh and Alyssa Weldon, uh, Miss Bopa Pinchokchai Chad, Brother Chad, and then uh, Brother James Byron. Of course, he's just a big teenager, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, they all did a great job. And thank you for praying for safety on the way up and back. Tonight, I was just looking, and I think four of those ladies who sang, I don't think they have sung uh, here before, at least, in a group. And so I was glad to see that. I always laugh at the testimony time, because it's fun to see, like, who prepares and who just, just wings it. And I just love that, you know, and, and I, just want, I just want some honesty tonight. Miss Bova, did you write Tim's speech? Just be honest. Just be honest. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but uh, Tim had it written out, or the Cadmule had it written out. He did a great job. And, and just like, in the, I love to see the teens express what God has done for them. And uh, I see many of you still fanning. This thermostat says it's 75 on the platform. It feels like 105 up here, but uh, we, are, we are working hard uh, to get this air fixed, uh, tr- calling the company, and so I appreciate your patience. If you need to bring one of those little Mr. Fans with you or something, and uh, maybe Brother Josh, we could see if the air in the back could just stay running or something. I don't know if it is, but uh, if I lose the tie midway through, just don't judge me, okay? But uh, uh, so the teens have done everything except for the preaching, and, and I just thought, you know, I don't want the first message a teen preaches to be to everybody. You know, that's kind of intimidating, and so we're working, we'll work on that with some of our fellows. I know they'll be capable of doing that, but they, they did this tonight. They ran the service, and they're going to be doing everything else, too. They'll be, they'll be counseling in the lobby if you need some help, and you have some marriage issues or something. Just see Brother Josh right down front, and he'll be glad to pray with you. But uh, I have just had such a great time. So thank you, teenagers, for participating and for going to youth conference and for parents for sending them. I want us to turn our Bibles to probably your favorite book of the Bible, probably a book you quote a lot, 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles, I'm sure your life verse is from this passage. You probably have many, many scriptures memorized and cross-stitched on a pillow somewhere, verses from 1 Chronicles but 1 Chronicles 22 this evening, and uh, I want to preach a message tonight out of this text here. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and, and uh, I will do my best not to be too lengthy tonight. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and I wanted to preach a message that applies and, uh, to our young people, but, but it's, it's not just for them, it's for all of us but with young people in mind tonight, and we're looking at 1 Chronicles 22. I'd like us to look at verses 1 through 13. So we're going to read a little scripture. I'll read fast, but, but please don't, don't, don't uh, uh, just read it and, and not be thinking. I want you to see what's happening in the scripture. Notice what is happening 
And then notice what is happening underneath what is happening. And that's what I'll preach about. But look at verse 1. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God. And this is the altar, the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he sat, uh, set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates, for the joinings and brass in abundance without weight, and also cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical. Magnifical. Use that word often in your normal speech, do you? Magnifical. That's an awesome word. But, but, but the building of the house of the Lord must be exceeding magnifical, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. <clears throat> so David prepared abundantly before his death. What's he preparing to build? He's preparing to build the temple. Why is he preparing? David wanted to build it, right? Well, let's look at the rest of the verses here. Verse 6. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord commanded Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not nor be dismayed. So here's David instructing his son. He's saying, I, I wanted to build the temple for God. It was David's idea. It, it wasn't that God said, David, I want a temple. David said, I want to do something for God. Here I am dwelling in my nice castle. I want to do something for God. And God said, hey, Nathan came to the prophet and said, hey, it's good that it's in your heart. But God is not going to let you do it. It's a good idea, but, but Solomon, your son's going to do it. And so you're preparing for him. You're, you're laying aside things and setting everything up for Solomon. And, and then he says here that in verse 13 that he tells Solomon how to prosper. How can you be successful? So he's laying up all these things Solomon would need to build the temple. And then he says, Solomon, my son, here it is. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to build the temple. You're going to build the temple. What's he, what was he doing in this passage? Why is he gathering nails and gathering wood and, and gathering all these things in abundance, as it says three times and four times in verses uh, three through five? Why is he doing all this? He's trying to make it easy for Solomon to succeed. He wants, to make, he wants it to be easy for his son to step in and choose the right path and do the right thing. You know, when I look at my children, all four of my children, when I look at the young people of our church and I see them up here singing or I see them serving, or, you know, I, I want to do everything I can to make it easy for them to choose the right path. 
I want to do everything I can to show them the right path and to show them that they want the right path, that, it is, that it is, uh, God's way is the right way. It's the only way that will make you happy. And I want to make it easy. I want to keep worldly influences out. I want to, I want to be a help and a support. And I want to let young people know that, that, that to choose success in the eyes of God. To choose success in the eyes of God. Joshua 1.8 tells us that success is found in what we do with the Bible, not what we do with our money. I want to say that again. God tells us in Joshua 1.8 that success is found in what we do with the Bible, not what we do with our money. We think in this world that, hey, if we get money, we're successful. But there's a whole lot of people that have money today that are miserable and that have been through marriage after marriage after marriage and drug after drug after drug. And, and now recently on nationwide television, these divorces and court cases, boy, they seem real happy. They're so successful because they have some money in the bank. I don't think so. And tonight, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, just an, uh, an adult who influences, or if you're a teenager, we need this message tonight. We need you to light the way for the young people coming behind you. And, and don't downplay your significance in it. Well, I don't teach a class. You, you have an example. You, you are a light that shines. As an adult, we are. So we need you to light the way for those coming behind. And young people that are here tonight, we need you to follow the right path. We need you to choose to walk in the ways of God. And so what I see with Solomon and David tonight is here's the title of the message. Setting up the next generation for success. Setting up the next generation for success. Because that's what David was doing. He was setting up his child for success. He, he, he did all that he could to help Solomon be successful in the Christian life. So we're going to talk about that. Father, I pray you bless these next few minutes as we look at some scripture and as we try to see something tonight that I pray would be a help to us. We need this tonight, God. We need these young people not to get out of high school and choose to do their own thing. We need these young people to choose to serve God. That's what we need. We need it so desperately in our country, in our, in our nation, but in our world. And so help us tonight, God, to get stirred up about this thing of, of doing what we can to set up the next generation for success. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What did David do for Solomon? I want to show you three things tonight that David did for Solomon. Number one, I want you to see that David gave him a spiritual pattern. David gave Solomon a spiritual pattern. Look, if you would, at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. So we just saw David doing all this stuff, setting aside all these things, telling Solomon how to build the temple. So he, he left the plans for the temple in Solomon's hands, but that's not the only pattern that David left for Solomon. That's not the only pattern. Da uh, Solomon watched his daddy's life. He watched David. And David was leaving a pattern by what he did. Look at 1 Chronicles 29, verse 3. David said, Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, of 7,000 talents of refined silver, to overlay the walls of the houses with all, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day of the Lord? So David was, was calling for service but, uh, from other people, but what he was saying is, 
says, look, I have prepared all this for the Lord. And even above that, I took out of my own, my own stuff that I had, my own personal goods. And I gave as much as I could to that to God too. What's he doing? He's being an example. He's being a pattern for his son Solomon. D David was not a perfect man, but he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He did pen a bunch of psalms. He did do a lot of good things, and he was trying to lead right. He was trying to serve God. He was trying to raise his kids right, but he wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes. I read a story about uh, President Calvin Coolidge. When he was in office, he had some guests come in that, you know, and, and you go into the White House, I can't imagine, like, there's, there's probably a lot of protocol and, and, you know, 15 different forks and all this stuff, and you're like, what do I do? And so President Calvin Coolidge had these guests in, and they were so worried about the table manners. They were so worried, uh, you know, about what to do. So they just decided they're going to copy everything that President Calvin Coolidge did. So when he grabbed a certain fork, they grabbed a certain fork. And when he grabbed the spoon, he, they grabbed the spoon. When he was dabbing his mouth with his napkin, they weren't, you know, doing this. They were dabbing too. And they, they did all of that kind of stuff. That everything that, he, that uh, he did, they did. But the, the problem came when coffee came. Coffee came and President Coolidge did something they were not expecting. He poured his coffee out of his cup onto the saucer. And then he took creamer and sugar in his saucer, and he stirred it up. And so the people watching took their saucer and put their coffee, in the and put their coffee on the saucer and took cream and sugar and stirred it up. And they watched him. What in the world is he doing? And then he, President Calvin Coolidge took his, took his saucer and placed it on the ground for his cat. How foolish they felt, right? They followed an example that really, you know, wasn't meant for them to follow. Not every example that Solomon saw in David was right, but, he, but they did see a man trying to live for God. I want you to think about this. If you, you don't need to go back to 2 Samuel right now, but if you go back to when uh, uh, Solomon was born, and then you look at when Absalom overthrew King David, about 12 years. Uh, Solomon was probably about 12 years old when Absalom overthrew David. So think about what Solomon saw. Solomon saw Absalom, the son of David, overthrow his daddy. He, Solomon watched David cry out to God. Solomon watched as David led people and loved them as a shepherd instead of used them like Absalom did. He watched as Shimei comes out and curses David. And David's kind of right-hand man says, let me go kill him. And David says, no, don't do that. We're going to be merciful. Uh, Solomon watched that. Uh, he watched David weep over his lost son, Absalom. He heard David's song of deliverance in 2 Samuel 22 after the war with the Philistines. He watched his dad also sin by numbering the people when he wasn't supposed to. But you know what he also watched? He also watched David get right with God and repent and, and, and sing songs of deliverance and, and, and write hymns of repentance and things of that nature. He watched all the pattern that his dad did. And I wonder tonight, you know, are these teenagers, are they seeing humility in us as adults? Are they seeing a pattern in us that they should follow? Are they seeing humility? Are, they, are, are these young people seeing a testimony that glorifies Jesus Christ in us? Or is that what they're seeing? Are, are, are they hearing us admit fault? Are they seeing us ask for forgiveness when we're wrong? Are they seeing us show mercy? Are they seeing us crying out to God and, and seeing us walking with God? Are they seeing that? 
Years ago, uh, many of you know the name Hudson Taylor, a great missionary to China, to Inland China. He started the Inland China Mission and, and just an amazing missionary uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. And uh, in China, the Chinese government did not like what Hudson Taylor had done. So years after his death, many years after his death, the communist China regime there, the government, hired an author, a writer, to go investigate Hudson Taylor's life and to change the facts in order to show a bad light upon Hudson Taylor. They, they wanted Hudson Taylor, they wanted some propaganda out there about him to cast him in a bad light and to discredit his name. The author was an atheist, communist, Chinese man, and he began to do the research on Hudson Taylor's life, and as he read about Hudson Taylor's life, he became so impressed with Hudson Taylor. He became so impressed with his character. He became so impressed with, with, with the godly life that he lived and the sacrifice for other people. He couldn't complete his task with a clear conscience. And so even at the risk of losing his life, he refused to write that book. He renounced atheism and he trusted Christ as Savior. Why? Because of Hudson Taylor coming and witnessing? No, because of the example of the life of Hudson Taylor. That's powerful. David left a spiritual pattern for Solomon, but he also gave him not only a spiritual pattern, he gave him a spiritual pursuit. He gave him a spiritual pursuit. Look back at chapter 22 for a moment, if you would. We're going to flip back and forth just a little bit. First Chronicles chapter 22. <clears throat> he gave his son a spiritual pursuit. David could not build the temple, so he gave his son a worthy pursuit. Build the temple for God. Look at verse number 16. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 16. Of the gold and silver and the brass and iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. Be doing. Get to work. There's work to be done, Solomon. There's work to be done. So often, I feel like we give the next generation, our next generation coming up after us, we give them worldly pursuits. We give them worldly pursuits. Get a good education. Okay. Maybe nothing wrong with that, but why is it at the top of the list? You know, make sure that you, you make money. Get a job where you can make, you know, six figures, seven figures. Be, be a person of status. All those type of things. Why don't we encourage them to have the pursuit that Paul did? That I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. How about Paul when he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Why don't we say those things to teenagers? Why don't we give the teenagers and young people in our lives and our kids, why don't we give them the pursuit that Jesus had? In John 4, 34, when he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Or when he said in John 8, 29, and he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Spiritual pursuit, spiritual pursuit. And so often, and I know that as a parent, I'm concerned that my kids are gonna, you know, you know that they'll have a roof over their head and, and that they'll have shoes on their feet and, and food in their bellies. And I get that, that's important. But I am so much more concerned that they know God. So much more concerned that they know Jesus. So much more concerned that they walk with God and, and they go to church. And when we give worldly pursuits to young people, what are we teaching them? You know, get your education and get your money and then fit God in. We're harming. We're harming them. And we not only do that by saying it to our children, but by living it. 
in front of the teenagers. When the teenagers of our church sometimes are more faithful than the adults and sometimes are more fervent than the adults and sometimes give more than the adults and sometimes go soul winning more than the adults and sometimes read their Bible more than the adults and sometimes pray more than the adults. Well, pastor, I'm busy. You, you, we, can, we can justify and use any excuse we want to, but we ought to be challenged to say, no, I'm going to step up and I'm going to be an example. I'm going to step up I'm going to be an example. I remember going to teen camp when I was a teenager and uh, just my, the, the year before my senior year, and uh, went to a teen camp, and Pastor Mark Swanson, who was, at, who was at youth conference just preaching, he came to our teen camp. And me and Titus are flying out there Tuesday for his teen camp, and he asked me to come preach. It's like a full circle for me. It's an amazing thing. Pray for me this week, please. I'm preaching four times, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And, uh, and I get to go there and be with them, but I remember as a teenager sitting in teen camp, and hearing really the first time I can remember, I'm sure I probably did before, but for the first time I can remember someone giving me a spiritual pursuit. And the theme for the year was, will you be the one? Even if no one else stands up, will you be the one? Ezekiel 22, 30, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, but I could not find one. I found none. And, and so the thought there was, will you be the one? Will you be the one that stands up for God if no one else does? Some of our teens said something like that tonight. And, and I remember just giving me a spiritual pursuit. And it, had a, it, it was a goal that I set in front of me. And you know what? I, every time I stand up in church every week on Wednesday night, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Sunday school with the teenagers, all I'm trying to do is give our church a spiritual pursuit. We get flooded with so much stuff all week long that I want us to have spiritual thoughts in our minds and spiritual pursuits, and that's what David did for his son. He gave him a spiritual pattern. He gave him a spiritual pursuit, and lastly, he gave him spiritual preparation. He gave him spiritual preparation. Look at 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5. It says, And David said, Solomon, my son, his son is young and tender, and the, the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent of fame and glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Look at verse 14. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord, a hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand talents of silver and of brass and of iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers of uh, workers of stone and timber and all manner of uh, cunning men for every manner of work of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron. There is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. So David was not just preparing nails and brass and lumber. He was preparing a leader. He was preparing a leader. Look at 1 Chronicles 29. I want you to, I want you to see just a couple more passages of Scripture and we'll be done. 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. We read this a little bit ago. But 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 3. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. And I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, the silver for things to be made of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, the wood for things of wood, the onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones of diverse colors and all manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Now, we could look at this and say, David was setting up Solomon because he had so much money. 
That's not it. That's not even anything David mentioned. David never said, my son Solomon will be set because he's going to be loaded. That's not how success works. That's not, that's not what David was doing. What David did in these verses is not the spiritual preparation we're talking about. He was preparing for the temple to be built, giving his son a spiritual pursuit. But the spiritual preparation that he gave his son happened in another book of the Bible. Would you go with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 4? Proverbs chapter 4. And now we're going to see the spiritual preparation, the spiritual training that David gave his son. Proverbs chapter number 4. <clears throat> Look at verses 1 through 8 here. Proverbs chapter 4. This is Solomon speaking. Proverbs 4 verse 1. Hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also. Who taught him? His dad did. David. He taught me also and said unto me, make money. He said unto him, hey, secure the reserves. Make sure you got something to fall back on. Make sure you diversify your portfolio. Make sure you, you get your education. What did he tell? What did, he tell? did he give him a, a, a worldly pursuit or a spiritual pursuit? Let thine, what did he say? And he said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. He's not saying get your, get your doctor's degree here, which I don't, you know, go ahead and do that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not preaching against that. What I'm saying is he was saying you need wisdom because you need to rule people as God wants you to. You need wisdom because you're a shepherd to this flock. You need wisdom so that you don't choose the wrong path. You need wisdom so that you can stay in the, in the way of God. And you read the book of Proverbs and see what David taught Solomon. There's a lot of stuff in there. And he was getting spiritual training from his dad. Spiritual training. As a teenager <clears throat> and as a young man, I remember my basketball coach. Even as a kid growing up and, and, you know, my basketball coach, hey, you know, hold the ball like this, okay? Your hand here, this is the guide hand. Hold it here. Get your elbow underneath the shot, okay? Follow through like this. Pass like this. Do this like this. And then I remember now going to Bible college years later, and there was spiritual training, and it was lead a soul to Christ like this. And it was when you preach a message, prepare a message like this. Give like this. Pray like this. Study the Bible like this. And it was a different kind of training. Guess which one I use more? I'll use my basketball skills every Sunday night in, uh, in July. Well, or the first week anyway, until I get injured. And then, you know, we'll, I'll sit on the sidelines and cheer people on. But I use that spiritual training. Are we teaching these things to the young people? Are, are, we, are we learning these spiritual things ourselves? It's never too late to learn some spiritual training. And maybe we ought to be telling the young people, instead of saying, here's how you, uh, you know, apply for financial aid for, for or, you know, Long Beach State, which hey, they need to know that if that's where God's calling them to go. But how about we say, hey, this is how you do this. This is how you lead a soul to Christ. This is how you tithe. Hey, this is how you teach a lesson. This is how you lead a soul to Christ. This is how you lead singing. This is how you give announcements. This is how you sing. This is spiritual training. Spiritual training is what we ought to be doing. It's a necessity. 
That's why I believe that Christian school is no longer an option. It is a necessity. Our, our, <laughs> our school system is so messed up and corrupted. It is unbelievable. It is, uh, if, you, if you think that you are more attacked at your work than these teenagers are in public school, you need to go sit in some public school classrooms for a while. It is the most ungodly environment in this nation. Some places that are public school classrooms. Look at these people. Just read the news about these, these four- and five-year-olds that are going to school with instructors that are transgender and all these different things, and they're bringing up con- these people are bringing up conversations in order to confuse four- and five-year-olds. That's happening at four and five. Imagine high school. Now, I know what we think. Man, I went to high school back in 2000. It wasn't that long ago. Things can change quickly. When I was in Germany in a public school, we had a teacher that was, that was a homosexual, and, and it was a, a rare, rare, rare thing. Uh, and and it, was, it was an odd thing. It, it was unheard of. And you know, we didn't hate him or treat him differently, but it was a rare thing. And nowadays, the stories that I hear coming out of schools, and, and to hear the, a, a sixth-grade boy coming and telling me, Pastor, I go to this public school, and it is the cool thing right now to be a girl if you're a boy and to be a boy if you're a girl. It is a cool thing to pretend to be this and to tell everyone you're gay. And, to tell, and that's what we're hearing. And for some reason we think, my kids are strong enough. My kids are, no, no. Christian school is a necessity. And I want to make this known because I know it's not just us here. And I know people are watching from our church and other places. But if you want your kids in a Christian school, we will make it happen. We have a Christian school, and we will make it happen. Why? Because the need is so great. And I thank God we've got people that give to a scholarship fund that helps with that. We want to make it happen because it is so important that teenagers and young people at the critical juncture of life get spiritual training and spiritual preparation. Young people that are here, you're in a battle that you don't even know. You don't even know the enemy you're facing. And you need to know how to fight you got to know how to fight. you got to know who the enemy is. you got to know how he's disguised, because he's disguised differently. And you need to be listening when preaching and teaching, and, and people are trying to teach you stuff in our church. I want you to turn to one more passage, and I'm done. 1 Chronicles 29, if you go back there. 1 Chronicles 29, and I'm done tonight. Thank you for your patience. It is, I, I know it is very warm in here, and I'm so sorry for that. We really are working hard to get the AC fixed. And if it's not fixed, next week we may meet in the chapel or something, because this is just... I don't want you to have to go through that. First Chronicles chapter 29. And I haven't heard one complaint, by the way, so thank you for that. First Chronicles 29, I want you to read here verses 23 through 28, and I'll make a couple statements, I'll be done. Verse 23 says, Then Solomon sat on the throne with the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered. He prospered. Why? David set him up. David helped him. David trained him. And all Israel obeyed him. And all the princes and the mighty men and all the sons, likewise of King David, even Solomon's brothers, submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron. 
30 and 3 years reigned he in Jerusalem. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. David did a good job. You know, David was not perfect, <laughs> certainly not a perfect father. You can look back through and see a lot of faults of David. But David did what he could to set up his son for success. Now, here's the thing. Solomon has another lesson to teach us, though. Because if you know the story of Solomon, you know 1 Kings chapter 11, that Solomon, at the end of his life, chose to marry foreign, unsaved, we would say in this day and age, unsaved non-Christian women. I know they are non-Jewish, I should say, but Gentile women that were not who he was supposed to marry. And he married many of them. And he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which were a wife basically of a lower status. And he had, so he had a thousand wives. And the Bible says the sad commentary on Solomon's life at the end was that his wives turned his heart to serving other gods. Gods that had baby sacrifices and gods that did terrible things. He said, well, what's, what's, the, what's the lesson there? You see, Solomon shows us that even a great home, a great spiritual pattern, a great spiritual pursuit... And a great spiritual preparation are not a guarantee that someone will make the right decision. It's not a guarantee. Man, he, he, he made so many great decisions, but he also made some bad ones. And he ended his life wrong. And we can look at what did David did. It wasn't David. David did what he could. But it just shows us that nothing guarantees that someone will turn out right. Adults have to make their own decisions. And teenagers... Hey, thank God that you've got a shelter in place in your home and at church, but you have to make the decision. You have to choose to serve God. No one else can choose to do that for you. Parents can raise children right and love them and do the best that they can and yet see their kids still make foolish decisions. Solomon teaches us that in this passage. But the key is he had a lot of great years here and he did well for a very long time and a lot of that credit goes to the fact that he had a dad that prepared him, that he had a dad that cared enough to give him some spiritual training, that cared enough to put a goal in front of him that was a spiritual godly goal, and he had someone that cared enough for him to make some preparations and to live a life of a pattern of an example to say, hey, I'm not just going to tell you what to do, I'm going to try to live it myself. And I wonder tonight, how are we doing with influencing the next generation? How are we doing with that? The devil is after these teenagers so much. Do, do, do each of us in here tonight, do we have a spiritual pursuit? How about us adults? Are we so minded on our work that we're neglecting a spiritual pursuit? And then young people, I want to encourage you tonight to decide to follow the path. To follow the right path. And it, the, the path of the word of God, the path of the Bible, follow that. We're trying to do our best to set you up for success but 16 years of working with teenagers, I've seen so many that we, have, that we have worked so hard to set up for success, yet they chose not to. We love them. We welcome them back. We would be glad to see them, but they're not doing, they're not walking the right road. And that's not what we want for anybody. Let's set the example. Let's set the pattern. Let's give a spiritual pursuit. Let's have a spiritual pursuit, and let's have some spiritual training. Father, thank you tonight.